Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. I want to welcome you guys to our Christmas service. And uh, you're going to have to forgive me, but I um, forgot I was doing announcements today. So uh, uh, we'll pray, and then we'll uh, all stand and and worship together. Father, we are thankful today uh, for your birth. And thank you that you brought us peace and and love and grace. And we want to make you famous today, bring glory to your name with the words that we sing. Yes, that you... Bless us throughout the service. See your son's name, then we pray. Amen. Would you all stand? Sacrifice our only plea. 
Christmas. This is an opportunity we don't get very often. I think somebody else counted up the calendar, and we don't get to do this again till 2033, uh, where Christmas falls on a Sunday morning on the Lord's Day. 
And uh, for whatever reason this year, well, people like drama. So there's people that think we're nuts for meeting this morning. There's people that think people are nuts for not meeting. And I don't really care because it's Sunday and this is what we do on Sunday, right? Um, but again, uh, be aware that there are differing opinions, right, while we're out there. But this is a unique thing. It doesn't really happen too frequently, the way leap years fall and whatever. But imagine where your life is going to be in 11 years. It's going to be a little different by, just by definition, different decade. I'm going to have been getting cheap coffee at McDonald's for a few years. You know, that kind of thing happens. 11 years is a long time. The kid we call Baby Myers at home isn't going to be Baby Myers anymore. He's, uh, he's going to be, well, hopefully he's going to be gone, you know, doing the grown-up things, right? That's what we all hope for, right? It's worked out pretty well so far. Uh, but it's going to be a long time. So we want to enjoy the privilege. We want to enjoy the opportunity uh, to spend time in God's Word. We always do that at our Christmas Eve service. But it is different, right? So a friend of mine this last week, uh, some of y'all know Paul Miles. He's been here to speak a couple of times uh, here. A friend of mine, he, he he wears a bow tie on the internet occasionally. And when he puts his bow tie on, you know he's about to do something unique. And he had the Linus Van Pelt challenge uh, on, on his uh, Facebook page. And I didn't participate because that's not how I roll. I don't, I don't usually participate in those things. But the idea was that you were supposed to take the King James version of Luke, the record in Luke, and do a recording. I don't know if you were supposed to have your security blanket with you and the whole bit. Um, but this morning, I thought we would focus on that passage. It'll be kind of my, sort of my contribution, because we do stream it here. Um, and really, that passage is a sermon in and of itself, as so many are, as we're looking at them. But I'm going to read this morning, just as a warning, from the King James. Some of y'all are going to feel like I just got saved. Uh, like I'm a real Christian today. Some of you are going to be like, again, it'll be like whether you meet or don't meet. But I'm going to read that because actually, some of y'all don't realize this, I was homeschooled from a young age. I actually kind of learned to read with the King James Bible as my text. I did not grow up in a dirt floor or log cabin or anything, but that's mainly the text that we use. So I'm familiar with it. I hope that you uh, follow along okay. Whatever version that you have, you could just listen if you want. And I'm going to read the first few verses, and it should sound familiar. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Um, no surprises, right? The Roman government ruled the known world. They were so arrogant about it. They said that when they taxed people in their empire, they taxed the whole world. Um, that's how government rolls. They tax everything that they can, right? If it moves, they try to tax. And that's the impetus, right, for the narrative that we have here. Uh, they called everybody else barbarians, right? It wasn't uh, like today where everybody that can has grown a beard, right, virtually. We even got a couple mustaches here, right? Yeah, got a couple mustaches showing up for those well, that's their contribution. But back then, you said you had a beard, you were a barbarian. And you all know that I'm a little bit of a barbarian slash hillbilly altogether anyway. But Rome referred to everyone that wasn't them barbarians. Everyone that they couldn't tax was a barbarian uh, in their mind. It was not part of a con contribution to their empire. This is a warm body tax. If you were breathing, you got taxed. It's an important feature and a census at that time. And everybody, to make it simple, I think on the record-keeping, went back to their hometown. They had a record of that. And, uh, and so Mary and Joseph both belonged to the line of David, and they went to Bethlehem. 
Interestingly enough, uh, many hundreds of years ago before that, the prophet Micah had prophesied that that would be explicitly where the Messiah would be born. Micah 5.2, and we'll come to that here in a second. Just imagine, though, you know, we have spent coming up on three years with, I think, what previous, can we say previously unfathomable levels of anxiety? Yes? Pretty close to it. Almost three years now. If it wasn't a virus, it's your 401k. If it wasn't your 401k, it was your grocery budget or the gas bill or whatever it was, all those things. And it's during times like that, right, when we, we come together and we smile at each other and we say Merry Christmas and we got anxiety in the back of our head because we, we have a hard time understanding, I think, what God's goodness means to us when we don't have our anxiety kind of under control. When, when the Bible tells us that God works together all things for the good of those who love Him, how He could possibly, possibly take the 14,000 train wrecks we can observe in our context, right? I mean, just the loss of human life. Is there a day, is there two days, excuse me, that's gone by in the last month where a pedestrian hasn't been killed on border highway? The lo- just the loss of life because of current policies that exist. It's hard for us to imagine how God can work all things together like that for the good of those who love him. But we need to remember that when God needed his son to be born in a little village called Bethlehem, he moved the whole empire. Everyone had to move. I mean, I think if you had the satellite view of the Roman Empire, it would have looked like when you were a kid, well, maybe not when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, I grew up around fire ants. The only good thing you could do with a big honking fire ant man was to kick it and run and watch it just swarm all over. And I think that's what it would have looked like. But the whole narrative points to this census, this tax, this warm body tax by what was an an oppressive government. I mean, if you read the record in Daniel of the nature of the Roman Empire, it was a devouring empire. It spit up, chewed up and spit out every empire that came before it. And yet that empire was in the palm of God's hand, bringing about the birth of an infant in a little village called Bethlehem. That even Joseph had left, presumably maybe to find work or whatever. He had to go back. But he can can move empires. He can move nations even to bring about one event. Remember the image Right? Bethlehem was not a, a big place. It never was a big place. It's still not a big place. Micah 5.2 says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth is from long ago, from the days of eternity. Quite a reputation for a little town named after a loaf of bread. Uh, You and I, you know, we might hit the easy button if we were the Almighty and choose somebody that was already in Bethlehem, you know, make it easy to fulfill the prophecy. But God didn't have to even think twice about moving the whole Roman Empire around in order to make it happen. Verse 6 of chapter 2 in Luke says this, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her prototokos, her firstborn son, her heir, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. She was great with child, riding on the back of a of a donkey. I won't read the King James Version of that because I don't want all the young men in the room to fall over laughing. It was a donkey. I don't know if you've ridden on a donkey. Those of you who have been pregnant, I hope that you have not ridden on a donkey while you were great with child. 
Isn't that a great phrase, great with child? It could mean so many different things, but it was just literally referring to the size, I think. But it's great. It's a great experience, great anticipation, expectation. She had ridden in on a, on a donkey. We're told in other passages at the tail end of her pregnancy. We dramatized that part of the story, and uh, my dad, one of the earliest projects that we did before he woodworked for a living, was making a, a little stable for our nativity set, and I remember helping him with that. There were two things I got to help with when I was real little. I got to nail the shingles on my sister's dollhouse, which he still has. I did a good job. The shingles are still on there 30 years later. And I got to nail the roof on the nativity set, and I'm telling you, the little... The, the little thing that we made out of pallet wood was probably warmer and nicer than what was likely a cave. The feed trough hewn out of rock. Um, you know, here in El Paso, we've had a little bit of a cold snap. And I know that it's a cold snap. When I get out of bed and Priscilla gets out of bed and she has three layers in between her feet and the tile... And she scoots around like this. So her feet won't get too cold. Right? Imagine having a solid rock thing, which it could have been in early spring. It probably wasn't December, but I mean, in the season. How cold and unforgiving a rock cradle would be, even with straw, even with swaddling clothes. It's not the normal birth of a king. Certainly. But we do get the dramatization right. Usually, um, there was no mother there, no midwives, no sisters, no help. I mean, Joseph, I joke, I've, I've delivered enough quadruped babies that I figure I could handle a biped baby my brothers are commonly referred to, but I'm not first on the bench for that, guys. You know, men, amen, fathers, we want some other help to be there. But that wasn't what this king was brought into the world with. Alone, no fanfare, no celebration. And a very specific pronoun here, Mary, it says that Mary brought forth her firstborn son. I have had people sit in my office and ask me questions about Jesus and say something to that effect. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I know where babies come from. And I answer them this way. The Bible never uses the common ancient reference that Mary gave birth to her husband's firstborn. It always says her firstborn. Joseph was the legal father of Jesus. In fact, up in, not, not too many decades ago, um, Texas presumed, made the same presumption that the husband of a woman was the father of her child. She was legally responsible for that child. And that was the presumption in the Roman Empire as well. But the Bible never makes that claim that the truth of how he was conceived in the Virgin Mary is never contradicted, never ambiguous. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. That's where you get the King James, man. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Occasionally you'll hear people say that shepherds were considered shifty uh, in Israel, and I'm not sure that's accurate. We know that the, the Egyptians held them in a high level of suspicion, and maybe we've kind of infused that into how Israel perceived of shepherds in our perception, but they weren't, they were not uh, exalted people. Shepherd was also another word, they, they would refer to nomads as shepherds. There's a lot of overlap between the vocation and the experience, I think. These are shepherds of actual sheep, right, ruminants. Um, again, we, we impute the, the sheep that wander around Ireland into the sheep in the ancient Near East. The, the, the sheep in the ancient Near East were not quite as dumb as the sheep in Ireland, but they're still not smart. They're not rebellious like goats, right, Jim? Jim's a fellow goat herd, goat farmer here. Goats straight up don't like you, and they try to destroy your life and all your possessions. They're not dumb, they're malicious. But sheep are dumb enough to cause problems for you. And so it's interesting that when God gives the people an illustration of the kings, that he so frequently talks about the kings as whether they are good shepherds or bad shepherds. Whether they were shepherding the people well or not. Whether they were laying down their lives, as Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The king was responsible. We've talked about this in Sunday school fairly recently in Deuteronomy. Yahweh laid down the law for the king that was to come and said that he was supposed to spend the first months, and it would be months, of his reign writing down a copy, his own personal copy, of the law of Moses so that he would be a good shepherd who would rule, who would have internalized the principles of the law and be able to shepherd the people accordingly so that they would live long in the land and have good health and experience wealth and riches. So the kings were called shepherds. And I think that's meaningful, right? It was their divinely expected role that they would lay down their lives for their sheep, that they would be brought to recognize the shepherd of Israel, the king of the Jews. Maybe they were particularly qualified. Maybe they wouldn't be put off by a baby lying in a food trough or in a cave. The difference here, right, Bethlehem was actually too small to have a, like a Motel 6, right? Can you imagine a town too small to have a Motel 6? Like it's almost too small to have a Dairy Queen. The word here is really just a private guest room. What they're saying, when there was no room at the inn for this baby to be born, was that there was no room with privacy. Uh, so it was just kind of open. It was bare minimum accommodations. Because the angels don't tell them where to find them. Well, they're in Bethlehem somewhere. And the shepherds go and find them. Why? Because they could probably see them from the street. They received a personal emissary, an angel from the Lord. The glory of the Lord shone around them, right? That God is, is a symbol. God is with us, Emmanuel. The glory of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, they're all with them. And if I look at the references in the Old Testament to the glory of the Lord shining in someone's presence, you know that's not something we think about too frequently, but when Moses was on the mountain and the glory of the Lord was shining when he came down, he glowed like a candlestick. His face shone with the glory of the Lord that he had been in the presence of. I'm not saying that the shepherds were like that, but it's possible that as they went their way towards Bethlehem, that they shone themselves with the glory of the Lord reflecting from their own faces. 
And then they have this heavenly host, a choir. It is a multitude of the heavenly host. I don't know how to describe to you the numerical quantity of the host, but a multitude is just a fraction of the angelic beings that came to sing before the shepherds in the, in the glory of the Lord's presence. Glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill towards men. There's a theological statement there, right? The world at that time, the known world, the world under the Roman Empire, did not have goodwill towards God, did they? But God had goodwill towards men, and he still does. This huge group leads the worship set. By the way, don't we have a fabulous worship set? Like every Sunday. It's fabulous. My kids make fun of me when I say the word fabulous. I don't know why that is. It's a perfectly good word. But nothing beats, I don't think, an angelic host shining in the glory of the Lord in the heavens, announcing the birth of the Messiah. And that's what the angels are there to do, to lead worship for the people. It was for God's glory, and it was evidence of his goodwill and peace, and it was for all people. And I, I think maybe I remind you guys of this, but there is a large number of people in the church in the world today that do not believe that, that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. Uh, they believe that you can actually be wasting your time telling somebody about Jesus if they are not an elect individual, and that is foolishness. Now watch, I'm going to get lots of hate mail now. The good news is for all the people, for everyone, you never waste your time telling somebody about the goodwill of God, the means by which an individual can have peace with God through the propitiation, the satisfaction that Christ offered. And it came to pass, verse 15, as the angels were gone away into the heavens, that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But, by, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They were not that ignorant a lot of people focus on the ignorance of shepherds. They knew when the angels said the city of David, they knew that was not Jerusalem, which was the kingly city. That was where uh, Herod ruled from. That was where the Romans uh, established rulership. That was where David had established his rulership. There was a reason for that. That's where the temple was built. They knew the particulars. Even the wise men did not know the particulars immediately. Remember, they went to Herod and asked him, hey, you're, you're ruling over the Jews. Don't you know where the Messiah is coming from? And Herod's like, mm -hmm. when you guys find him, you tell me. This is why it was so important for the kings of Israel to write down the law for themselves so that they knew the prophecies and the words of Scripture and knew what was coming and knew what to expect. But the shepherds knew to go to Bethlehem. They knew that was the city of David. They knew exactly what to do with the knowledge that had been given them. They were to seek out the Messiah. They made haste, and they made their way to Mary and Joseph in their, we call them non-standard accommodations anyway, just non-standard. My wife and I have lived in many times in non-standard accommodations, but we have not yet ever had to reside in a stable for any length of time but still non-standard. 
They found Jesus lying in a manger, wrapped up in clothes or cloths. I mean, they were made for that purpose, but it was just cloth. When I was a kid, I don't know if you see it. Do y'all still glue bows to babies' heads? When I was a kid, you used to always, a kid be bald as Charlie Brown. And there'd be a bow stuck to their head. And you say, how do you do that? I glued it. Not even a bow glued on this poor baby's head. <laughs> Didn't have a southern mama, I guess. Just wrapped in clothes. Laid in a feed trough. I presume it at least had clean, you know, hay in it. But it seems like they gathered a crowd. And I, I, that's kind of wonder why, I, why their face didn't glow, Right? Because as they go through this little city in the dark of night, all they that heard of it marveled at what they said. I think that they were approached, where have you been, man? Your face is glowing. What has happened? Whose presence have you been in? You know, I can tell the difference between when one of my sons has uh, spent time with their significant other or not. I think being in the host of the glory of the Lord probably affects their countenance at minimum, right? It's important. Because everyone marveled at what they had been told when they heard it. Nobody would ever notice a shepherd going through Bethlehem any other, for any other reason. It's not like Pastor Josh walking through the store at Walmart. If y'all never people watched at Walmart, I'll tell you next time I go, you can watch. Shepherd going through Bethlehem, no big deal. No big deal at all. So there had to be something that they asked. He was certainly not the only baby born that day. Maybe not even the only baby born in Bethlehem, but I bet you he's probably the only baby they got laid in a manger that day. They came with haste. They were in a hurry, what they had seen. And they told Mary about that. Now, Mary had had some very specific information given to her about her role here. But she took the things that the shepherds spoke to her and pondered them and treasured them in her heart, kept them safe, defended them from doubt. Now, all of those things are kind of implicit in the nature of the phrasing here, right? She treasured them. She treasured a lot of things. In fact, in, not in the near context, in the very near future, you know, the, they bring Jesus uh, to be circumcised. And Simeon tells her, remember the old man Simeon? That's who my son is named for. Who had lived his whole life waiting for the Messiah to appear. And he had been told by God that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And the day he sees the Messiah, he says, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul. That this is not unmitigated joy that you're going to experience in your life as a result of this. But she treasured and pondered these things in her heart. So they went. And they went away. They did not become former shepherds, it doesn't seem to me. A lot of people will put a lot of guilt on people. If you've really encountered Jesus, it'll totally change everything you do in your life. It'll totally change everything and how you do it. The shepherds went out glorifying and praising God, but as far as I can tell, they stayed shepherds. They stayed shepherds with no guilt but they were worshiping shepherds, praising shepherds, glorifying God, shepherds, who saw the value in what they did. By the way, I mean, it was important, and that's why I say we, we probably shouldn't overly denigrate the role of the shepherd because it was necessary for good shepherds to be common in the nation of Israel because without good shepherds, you did not have appropriate sacrifices to be offered in the temple, right? They had to be without blemish. If your sheep are running off hills 
or falling into rocks or whatever. You didn't have sacrifices. If you didn't have sacrifices, you could not fulfill the obligations of temple worship under the law. It was important. It was important that they stayed as glorifying God, worshiping God, praising God, shepherds. But they did go their way. And guys, I hope that's what we do today as we worship and celebrate and remember the day that Christ came to the earth, was incarnated and born under these extraordinarily non-standard circumstances. But we proclaim his coming as well, that we will be with him forever. That we go about the things that he's given us to do in a worthy manner, glorifying and worshiping God in the things that we do, wondering at the things that were foretold and the things that were fulfilled. You know, God sent his son for a gracious and a glorious purpose. He did not come merely to defeat a political enemy, though there is a guarantee all of his political enemies will fall. All of the nations will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords in days to come. But his ministry here was for a glorious and gracious purpose so that we could have life simply by grace through faith, simply by believing in him, trusting him for it. We receive it as a free gift, something that we could never get any other way. We could not earn it. We could not deserve it. You cannot work hard enough to get it. You cannot be devious enough to manipulate it out of someone. You can only receive it freely. Those are the most priceless things, aren't they? It is priceless because Christ paid it entirely for us. No one can give it to us but him alone. And I hope that you go from this place praising and worshiping and glorifying God in the things that you do in celebration of that gift. I hope I do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you. We celebrate this wonderful gift that you sent as a cause for joy, as a blessing to all people, as a fulfilled promise that you made way back in Genesis that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that a king would come, a prophet who is greater than Moses, all throughout. We, we thank you that this was your plan. We thank you for the grace that it demonstrates to us and the life that we have and the life that we will have in eternity with you and him forever. Thank you for it and we love you. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. You sound with us. We'll do the, our last song of the year. Man, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day. We were blind astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh,